innovative, often duplicated. When enough people get on the trend, I elevate it, make it way harder for them to follow what I take. It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea. Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up. So just take your stuff, rake it up, and take the bus. Never fake the funk, you painted skunks. You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space, so the weight is up. Fight. WHUPLP Hillsboro, North Carolina, the center of the known world. This is the Cage Side Concussion Cast. I am Jeff Shaw. I'm very excited to have Chrissy Lindsay, my good friend, one of the owners of U.S. Grappling, live in the studio. Chrissy will join me both for the news segment, recapping the results of yesterday's U.S. Grappling Greensboro tournament. As always, an excellent experience for the competitors. But will also join me for the featured interview where we talk about some of the history of uh, our favorite grappling tournament organization, about some of her favorite road stories, some of the people involved with U.S. Grappling to make it happen and some of the folks that have grown up with U.S. Grappling over the more than 10 years that they have been in operation. Very excited for that. Before that, we need to tell you how to get a hold of us. You can always reach us on our Facebook page at Cageside Radio. You can email us at cagesidewhup at gmail.com. Our Twitter and Instagram is cagesidewhup. That's cagesidewhup. You can always tell us news items that we missed, upcoming events that we should be aware of, and or things about the show you liked, things about the show that you would like to see improved. We are available on iTunes and Stitcher where you can subscribe and if you like us, you can leave us a review. We're going to get right into the news segment. And before we uh, talk to Chrissy about U.S. grappling, there are a few other MMA-related things that I want to highlight. A uh, friend of the show, uh, and uh, Adley Edwards, won his pro MMA debut yesterday. Trevor Hayes, uh, guest host, are, was there cornering him. And Adley won a dominant, one-sided, unanimous decision victory with 30-27 on two scorecards. One judge had it 30-26, so congratulations to him. Speaking of winning pro MMA, MMA debuts, former show guest Joe Selecki, to no one's surprise, won his pro MMA debut by rear naked choke in the first round. It's kind of what Joe Selecki does. Keep an eye on that guy. He's going to do big things. Speaking of local fighters, last week's guest, we want to remind you, uh, last week's guest, Samantha Seff, we want to remind you, fights along with three of her TFTC Academy teammates, fights next Saturday in South Carolina in Spartanburg. That's November 5th. You can either go visit and buy tickets uh, from Sammy Seff, or you can uh, get the live stream. We'll post information on the live stream when it becomes available. And finally, it's pro MMA debut season. We really want to get this guy back in the studio. One of our most popular guests, one of the most positive contributors to the local scene, CJ Murdoch is going to make his pro MMA debut November 5th, his long-awaited pro MMA debut. CJ is going to, I've talked to him when he was back in town. He's back in town for a little bit. We want to get him and ideally his brother Josh Murdoch into the studio at the same time to help hype that fight. So before we get into the U.S. grappling results, I want to I want to tease something, which is you're not going to want to miss next week's show. It's not just because of the guest, because uh, although the guest is going to be amazing, but we're going to have a major announcement. Next week is our first anniversary. We've been doing the show for a full year. We've done more than 50 shows, and it's time to take things to that next level. And we have some really big plans that I want to hip all of you to. So please listen. If you can't listen live, uh, tune in on iTunes and Stitcher. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make some moves in the next year, and I'm excited to have you all along with us. So thanks to everybody who listens. Uh, again, don't miss next week's show. So to close out the news segment, we're gonna bring in Chrissy Lindsay, who is both our featured interview and a good friend of mine, somebody that I've known for many years, and uh, one of the owners of U.S. Grappling. And U.S. Grappling Greensboro, always a really fun and popular tournament, happened yesterday. Uh, Chrissy, how do you think it went? Oh man, yesterday was 
We were finished, loaded up, packed out by 6 o'clock last night, um, which is always great to get out while it's still daylight. Uh, I think that's probably one of the, the staff's favorite parts. Uh, yesterday was a really good event, very smooth. Um, our referees, our staff is just amazing because it's just everybody wants to do what they can for the whole community. You know, everybody works really hard. They take really short breaks. And it's just awesome. We have people that come from all over to to work the events, to compete at the events. So the event itself was very smooth, you know, as our events tend to be, not to mm-hmm. set a humble brag situation there. <laughs> it's nothing uh, I don't say every show <laughs> three or four times. So so it's, you know, it was it was a great tournament. We had um, we had acai there, which was awesome. It was good to have uh, Abraham was down to, to man the acai stand for Brace, which was very cool. And, you know, Cage side was there, of course. Boomer was there, which was great. It's always good to see Boomer. I see you're wearing my favorite Toro hoodie right now. Yeah, this is the most comfortable hoodie I've ever worn. It's amazing, right? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I, I mean, I'm a hoodie guy, so I always look forward to hoodie weather. And man, this uh, the, the new Toro BJJ hoodie is spectacular. You can see it on the internet on the picture that I just posted to our Instagram and to our Facebook. And uh, go into the Cage Side Fight Company and uh, and wear this sucker, and you will want one. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I know it's terrible to talk about things that I can see on the radio, but it's really great. The concussion cast is a multimedia experience, Chrissy. So oh, don't you're worry. Right. You're we're, right. Be- we're beaming video images to people with our minds. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the results. What were you, so, you? We were talking off air about some of the memorable performances. Yeah, you know there were some really cool things. Like uh, Anthony Elbert has only had his brown belt for a couple of months. Uh, won won the brown belt absolute yesterday. You know, so I really like and and Anthony refs for us. So obviously I'm I, I'm kind of biased. I like to see our refs do well. Also, when we're busy, I like to see them lose so I get them back faster. But that's that's not really the right attitude. Is that enlightened self interest? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exactly. Um, but Anthony, you know, he had great matches yesterday. There were some big guys in that brown, like Bobby Gurley, who won the advanced absolute yesterday. Um, he's a little bigger than Anthony by roughly a hundred pounds. Maybe, maybe not quite that much. Maybe maybe seventy five pounds. He's considerably larger than Anthony, and I, I'm not even sure they had a match on the brown belt absolute. I don't know how the bracket played out. But you know, I just I really love to see these guys doing well, and you know, when somebody gets a new belt and they're they're just right out there competing and breaking it in, I think it's just amazing. Um, another thing that I really noticed yesterday is there are a lot of, of teenagers that are stepping up to adult divisions and doing really well. Um, Nathaniel Hunt, he is 16 or 17. He's maybe 135 pounds. He took second place in a men's advanced nogi division, um, fought for third in the men's blue belt absolute, and lost to Holden O'Neill in the. In, but again, Holden is a little bit bigger than Nathaniel. But I had a chance to train with Nathaniel last week or the week before, and the kid is legit. He is smooth. He is slick. He's patient. Um, it's really like it's just so impressive to see these kids. And then then you've got you know girls like Alex Wynn from up in DC coming down, and she works for us. She works super hard. She works all day. Like she got up yesterday morning with her family at four in the morning, drove down to Greensboro so she would be on time to help with the event. Competed, um, had some great matches. Uh, won the women's blue belt absolute, and then. Aaliyah Shell, same thing. Aaliyah, happy birthday, Aaliyah. She turns 14 today. Wow. She's been competing in the women's division since she turned 13, and she's just just amazing. Like, these kids, you know, you kids today, they they have so much more awareness and so much more um, just exposure to good jujitsu. Like, you know, 11 years ago when I started, we didn't have that, you know. There were were purple belts around, and now purple belts are, are everywhere. Um, so I think there are just there are so many people that are just doing awesome things. You know, Blaine Turnmeyer had 
had a really good day yesterday. He won both of his weight classes, even though he was injured in the Nogi divisions. He continued competing because he's young and bendy and flexible and uh, <laughs> is, is still able to, yeah, yeah, I know I've been icing for the last 30 minutes, but I'm, I'm still going to do the, the purple belt divisions. And then he won his division, you know. The, these kids Ice are amazing. everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, these kids are, so, and that, that's probably the coolest thing to me. Like, all these kids, like, Blaine started with competing with us when he was a teenager, you know, in the kids' divisions. Now his little brother Bailey is competing as an adult as well. Um, you know, the Corbet brothers, they've been competing with us since they were very small, and now they, like, they can drive themselves to tournaments. They don't need parents anymore. It's, it's just amazing, you know, seeing, seeing all these kids grow up over the last decade. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in our featured interview about the you know the kids that have grown up with U.S. grappling. But like it is, I agree, it's super exciting and a little terrifying to see the next generation of jujitsu killers come up. Like I've rolled with like all the people that you named and like all of them. You know, Aliyah, Happy Birthday, Aliyah has really smooth jujitsu. Competes with adults. The Corbet brothers, obviously, we talk about them a lot. And you know, Anthony, Anthony Elbert, who is a, a you know he he got his brown belt in like four years yep and and i mean and that's a legit brown belt like that's you know he's absolutely as, as you say he's already competing and already doing really well at brown belt and so it's really it's really inspiring and and a little scary and i think i'm gonna retire from jujitsu at 45 just just because like some you know a 12 year old is gonna is gonna ball me up um but that but that's beside the point so any any other um, performances that stick out for you like i saw daniel frank won gold oh yep daniel frank won uh won the black belt absolute division daniel frank you know, he's just awesome. Uh, I think you've had him on the show before. He he refs and competes for us and does a great job, obviously. Daniel Frank, for those of you who have only heard him and never actually seen him, he's 145 pounds on a, air quotes, fat day. So, And he will compete against anybody. Mm-hmm. Anybody we put in front of him, any size, you know, he doesn't care. He will compete and he will give it his all. And makes no excuses win lose or draw he makes no excuses for his performance you know and it's just it's really inspiring to see it's really awesome he's just fantastic yeah and it's terrific to see him having success you know and like nobody nobody grinds harder than daniel when i when i went up and trained at revolution for a week you know i i made a joke about like and while i'm here i'm gonna train all the time i'm gonna take more i'm gonna do more classes than daniel frank and everybody just had a good chuckle about that (laughs) i don't think it's possible I, i don't i don't know how he does it and he's like he's not young you know he's He's not 24 like, you know, some of these other kids that are training full time. No, absolutely. So, so yeah, like, so, uh, you know, Daniel Frank, congratulations, winning Black Belt Absolute. That's that's terrific. Congratulations to all the, the juveniles doing well in their own divisions as well as the adult divisions. Um, before we, like, and, and so... U.S. Grappling Greensboro, you know, you come to North Carolina at least a couple times a year and obviously run a lot of tournaments in Virginia. These tournaments are always are always a lot of fun for us. And so anything you want to say about U.S. Grappling Greensboro before we get to the main portion of the interview where we'll talk about the history of U.S. Grappling and where it's going? You know, U.S. Grappling Greensboro has always been fun. We've we've always we've been at this venue and we weren't the first time we came there. We weren't sure. We're like Greensboro. I don't know. Is it too close to Raleigh? Is it? too far in the middle of nowhere and you know the community just continues to impress me every time they turn up for greensboro even though it's a little far from raleigh and we do events in raleigh it's a little far from charlotte and next year we'll be having events in charlotte but but um oh spoiler surprise no no that's (laughs) we're breaking news here exclusively you are it's not even on our website yet but i just i just finalized the contract last week so it'll be up there soon um, That's so, fantastic news. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. We'll talk about that in the, in the next segment, I guess. Um, but Greensboro is just always awesome. You know, the venue, we've 
we the venue is great even yesterday so the venue is also an early voting location so that was interesting you know we had to kind of shuffle some things around to make sure people could get to the polls um, was but, anyone so angry about the election that they were like, I want to enter the grappling tournament now? <laughs> no, nobody that talked to me anyway, but um, there were there were a lot of, you know, there were a lot of people there. I'm really, this isn't really MMA related, but I, I've only lived in North Carolina for the last year. You know, I've moved around a lot. And I'm really impressed with how good a job North Carolina does with trying to help people vote. They set up all these early polling locations yesterday. They have curbside voting. So if you're not like you can't get out of your car, you can drive up and you can vote from your car. Like I'm this is not a thing where I grew up. I'm really impressed by that. Like, I really think it's awesome that North Carolina does so much to get people out to vote. So all of you listening, go vote. It's important. Absolutely. I don't even care who you vote for. Agree. Uh, Yeah. Just uh, like it's we're lucky to live in a democracy. We're lucky (laughs) to live in a place where people can 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 make their voice heard and so you know and early voting no excuses just go out there and go out there and get it done and all you youngins um, make sure you participate in the dance of democracy that is November 8th and on that note we're going to get into our featured interview with interview with Chrissy Lindsay so if, if you've ever wondered how U.S. grappling got started if you've ever wondered what the future holds for the tournaments that you know and love if you've ever wondered about some of the people that make U.S. grappling happen uh, keep on listening over the next 45 minutes and in Chrissy's honor I'm going to play the bumper that has Dave Camarillo talking about how awesome vegan are dude i then think again. vegans are awesome so now we're going to talk about we're going to get into the meat of it what was the first time that somebody mentioned u.s grappling as a possibility that said hey, i have this idea for a tournament organization so it, it, it actually started more as an accident. Um, Andrew Smith, uh, one of the other owners of U.S. Grappling. So U.S. Grappling is owned by Andrew Smith, by my husband, Brian, Lindsay, and by me. Um, and back in 2006, um, some, some guys were going to run an MMA event at the Showplace, which is now a Roses, I believe, in Richmond, because um, they're building new Roses. Who knew? Uh, so it, at this... At this uh, fascinating place called the show place uh and we were they asked andrew to run a help run a jiu-jitsu tournament during the day before the mma event that night because they had the building for the whole day and they're like oh we'll just get some people we'll have an event and um i was training then i was a white belt i'd been training maybe six months and Andrew mentioned mentioned it to me. We were already friends. And I was like, oh, well, you know, here's some logistics things that I think you're probably going to. I'd been to one whopping jujitsu tournament at this point. I had seen one tournament. And I was like, well, here's some things you're probably going to need, like paper and pencils. And um, not that Andrew wouldn't have thought of this, obviously. But my brain immediately goes to solving logistical problems. Mm-hmm. So Andrew and Brian and I started um, kind of kind of helping him organize, helping Andrew organize it and making brackets. And uh, Brian and I had a pretty big house at the time. So we became like the unofficial jujitsu hotel. Like there were a lot of people that slept in our guest room, on our floors, on our couches in the early days. Um, It was it was crazy. Would this have been 2005? This would have been 2006. April of 2006 was our first event. uh, That was East Coast Grappling Championships. That was before we were U.S. Grappling. That happened in 2007. Um, so we ran a few East Coast Grappling Championships. Andrew and I went up to Delaware to run the Diamond State Games for somebody else. 
later we acquired that name and we we now own the rights to Diamond State Games. Um, and that kind of happened over the years. The same with Grapple Mania. We used to run that event for somebody else. And then we just kind of bought the name from them and kind of took it over to run it as our own thing. Um, so... So back in back in 2006, we were kind of running these events, and we were we we would go around to all the gyms in Richmond and pick up all of their their uh, tatami mats, like the 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 three feet by five feet mats or whatever they are, and we would label all of them. And we had these complicated spreadsheets that laid out where the mats would go when you put them back. We would number them all, like whose gym they came from, and then we would have to lay them all out, and then we would have to pick them up and then go put them back in the gyms on Sunday. It was a much more exhausting weekend before we had our own mats. Um, so that was that was pretty crazy early days. of. So and you actually had to borrow mats from individual gyms yes. and then return them after the tournament. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Um, and that's, you know, that really says a lot about the community. Those gyms, they were not the same affiliation. They weren't our affiliation even. They were just different gyms that wanted a good event. So it kind of we kind of grew to be bigger than an event that could run before an MMA tournament. And Andrew and Brian and I really believed we could we could do something a little better than the other tournaments we were seeing. You know, I had a friend tell me a story about a tournament that he went to a few months ago. His division was supposed to be at noon and he got to compete at 6 p.m. So and, and those are the stories we were hearing way back in the day. You know, my old instructor, Clint, went to a tournament in, I think it was Ohio or somewhere in that Midwest-ish region, and he competed at 2 in the morning. Like, they had told him to warm up, like, I don't know, a dozen times throughout the day. He was supposed to compete at 1 in the afternoon, and just, you know, things just kind of kept going sideways. And we're like, I know we can do this better. And that's kind of how we started. We really wanted to have an event that put the grapplers first, that focused on, you know, the people that needed to coach their students. We want them to get to compete first so that they can focus on themselves and then focus on their students. So that's why we run advanced divisions before beginner divisions. Um, we really try and, and think about, as grapplers, how do we want to be treated? You know, it's not on our website. It's not, like, published. But if you get hurt or if you get sick and you can't compete at our event, send us a message before the tournament and we'll refund you. Like that's that's how we want to be treated. So that's what we do for our competitors. And I, I think it's really important to remember that you are a, a grappling organization run by and for grapplers. And and like listening to you talk about how how it started makes that all clear. Like you were you were a white belt when this got started. Andrew would have been a blue or a purple belt. He was a purple belt, just about to get his brown belt. Um, Andrew actually got his brown belt the day I competed in my first tournament. Um, which would have been February of 2006, maybe, mm-hmm. right around then. And I think I think you know some of the some of the horror stories that you mentioned of like being told to compete several times, competing hours later. I think everybody competing today has a st- who has competed in multiple tournament organizations has a story like that. Like, well, my division was supposed to go at three and it went at seven, and, and things like that. And it had to be when you when y'all started much worse because there was no competition. And you know when we had Andrew on the show, he talked about having you know in a, you you'd have to wait couple of months to compete in a tournament you might have to drive six to eight hours and so if you do that and you're supposed to go at six o'clock and they say well you're actually going to go at two in the morning what are you going to do you're not you're going to hang around right you're going to hang around you've driven so far and all your friends are there and everybody's tired and hungry because you're afraid to eat because what if you actually are up next you know so everybody's tired everybody's hungry but you have to you have to stay because you've driven so far and you probably weren't going to get your money back 
back mm-hmm. then. Yeah. You know, a lot of events are much better about that now than they used to be or, or allowing you to have credit for a future event and so on. But, yeah, you know, when I first met Andrew, he was traveling, you know, three weekends a month to go compete somewhere and, and driving far. I think, you know, <laughs> we were kind of making a joke about these kids today, you know, when we were talking about doing the show the other day. But people today are like, oh, man, that's an hour away. I, I can't drive an hour to do a tournament. And, you know, I, the first tournament I competed in, I drove to West Virginia. I drove six hours to compete. And there were three women at the whole tournament. And we were uh, 120 pounds, 150 pounds, and 180 pounds. And we had one division. And we all grappled each other. And it was great. Uh, we, we had a good time. We had, you know, and I'd been training like three months. And they'd been training like two years and three years. So it was cool. We had fun. I uh, I got a takedown, which was my only goal. Like, I just wanted to make sure I scored points. So my whole goal was to get a takedown, and then I win no matter what happens. Because I hadn't, I wasn't experienced. And, of course, they're both teenage girls. So, you know, that's uh, – one of them was getting ready for an MMA fight. I was oh, wow. just like, great. I'm terrified now. You know, I'm like, here I am, old enough to be their mother. And like, this is going to be the worst. But it was awesome. They were both amazing, amazing girls. And, and it was it was a super good experience. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, like, and, and I mean, I do think, it, it, you know, and, and this will be, you know, y- y'all should tune into the show next week because we'll talk about some of the new problems. Because in the in the day, you know, we we we've talked to a lot of, of, of folks that have been around for a long time that have talked about how you know you had to either travel extremely far or you had to wait a long time or both in order to compete. And now we almost have the opposite problem where there are so many exciting things happening, which creates its own set of logistical concerns where it's like, well, I'd really like to go compete here, but then there's this great seminar. And so we, we have some things planned to help people address those problems. But those are really good problems to have, you know, as opposed to the problems of, you know, I'm competing at two in the morning. So they really they really are. You know, We've we've had this uh, years ago when we had 15 grapplers sleeping spread out across our house. Um, Andrew and Brian and I sat up with uh, with a guy named Gumby. His forum name was Gumby. And we sat up. Andrew probably talked about the same thing, too. And we were talking about how to get more people to tournaments. And, you know, we were talking about making the whole thing bigger. And it's not that we want a bigger piece of the pie. We want the whole pie to be bigger. And this is really, you know, there's a place for every tournament out there. We are not better than or worse than Naga or New Breed or there's a different vibe and a different feel at each one of these tournaments and different people are looking for different things in their tournament experience. So I don't knock any of those other tournaments. They're offering a different service than we're offering. They're offering a different experience. And that's, sometimes that's the experience people are looking for. And, and we think that's great. We, we need there to be a home for everyone, right? We, we want that. We truly want the whole pie to be bigger. I'm a huge believer in expanding the pie. And I do think that a lot of the sort of internecine warfare you see in Jiu-Jitsu sometime where there are all these rivalries is just unnecessary. And like a lot of the divides that we create are sort of silly and miss the, miss the, miss the big picture, which is the more Jiu-Jitsu that's happening, the better it is for everybody. And... Uh, so, so to get back to the history for a second, then transition. So you got started running tournaments in 2006 under the banner yep. of East Coast Grappling Championships, started running as U.S. Grappling in 2007. Yep. So you've been doing this a while. What is the most memorable match for you in U.S. Grappling history? Um, I think it's probably the the internet grudge match is probably my favorite. This is probably my favorite story to tell. So there, there were there were multiple internet forums before there was Facebook, and people had screen names. So one of our friends, Marcel, his screen name was Let Him Bleed. 
So let him bleed, uh, whose wife also was on the forum as Let Her Bleed, which is pretty <laughs> funny. They're a great couple. They're amazing. That's um, how you know they're well-matched. Yes. Their forum names are that well-matched. <laughs> yeah, it, they're perfect. So so Let Him Bleed, was he's a bit snarky, um, which is probably why I like him so much. Uh, and th- on one of the internet forums, some white belt mouthed off to him. Well, Marcel was a purple belt at this point, and he's like, what are you, what are you even saying? So this white belt gets Greg Souders. Uh, to, who is who is Alex Wynn's coach now to uh, be his proxy in this internet grudge match and we flew Let Him Bleed up to Richmond for a tournament uh, Marcel and Greg have this crazy, we stop all the matches for this super fight right? for these two purple belts to have this super fight now they're not really the same size, Greg Souders is a little bigger than Marcel um, but Marcel wore a T-shirt that said Keyboard Warrior for the match. I mean, it was just amazing. <laughs> That's glorious. And then uh, Marcel took Greg down with Connie Basami, which is just awesome. Like, th- it got made into a GIF and put on all the internet forums. Greg ended up winning winning the match, but the only thing anybody remembers is the Flying Scissor takedown. <laughs> and the Keyboard Warrior T-shirt, of course. And that kind of, this to me kind of embodies what U.S. grappling was, really. Like, and still, we still want to be. We want to feel like the community grappling tournament, no matter what city we're in. We know the people in the cities. And, you know, I, I know other people's birthdays in other cities, not just Aaliyah's because I live here. Um, she's going to be so sick of hearing her name by the end of this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to get her in the studio with John sometime. You should do that. That yeah. would be amazing. Yeah, I've talked to John about coming on the show. Well, they should. Yeah, so consider this an open invite to the Shell family. You guys, you guys should come in sometime. <laughs> should definitely bring Aaliyah for sure. So that's an incredible. That's an incredible match. Like you know, I, I, you know, even the short time that I've been doing jujitsu, comparatively, you know, the, the, we talk about a lot of legendary U.S. grappling matches. We talk about Andrew versus Nakapon submission amazing, only. Amazing, amazing match. Even though it was ruining my statistics, <laughs> <laughs> which we will get into later because both Chrissy and I are spreadsheet stats nerds, and we'll talk about some of the statistical breakdowns of submissions at U.S. grappling tournaments, which we've done research into. But I want to give you the opportunity to say like any other memorable matches that stand out to you you know there was another match at one of the diamond state games with brian mclaughlin and ryan hall i don't remember what belts they were at the time they're both obviously black belts now brian hall had come down brian mclaughlin had come down from new york um this was back when ryan was at a different gym and somebody had put up a thousand dollars for this match to happen and brian mclaughlin beat ryan hall in the match It was a great match. It was amazing. It was another one of those. We stopped all the action and everybody watched it. And Brian McLaughlin, like, he was handed the $1,000. And he, one of the people that we had at the venue that day was a woman that was trying to raise money for uh, domestic violence. And, like, her son does jujitsu and she was there. And, you know, that's kind of part of the community thing we want to do. He just, he, like, he's like, I don't want this money. I just wanted to have a fun match. And he took the money and gave her $1,000. And she broke down in tears. You know, like, that's the whole community vibe that, that we just continue to see. And I think it's just amazing. And another That is truly incredible. And what a great memory. And, uh, you know, so we've, we've talked about some of the big names that have competed on, at U.S. grappling tournaments in the years, uh, over the years. A lot of, of people that are real badasses that folks know about. One of the things that we hit on in the news segment is you've also had kids grow up with you effectively in the 10 or 11 years you've yes. been doing this. And you named some names, but can you talk maybe a little bit about what it's like to see kids that you saw as juveniles now suddenly be in the adult division and not only in the adult division but like working for us you know um patrick trinidad is he is a brown belt in virginia beach he trains at coastal where deandre and gavin train um patrick had been coming to our events for a long time as a juvenile and 
I remember we were in Patrick Henry in Richmond and Patrick Trinidad handed me a card with his own name on it to pay for his registration. And it blew my mind. I was like, how is this happening? How are you an adult now? And, you know, I think he's like 23 or 24 now, but he's been coming to our events since the very beginning. And seeing all these kids grow up, you know, I think that's why our kids divisions are so important. You know, when you look at uh, Slav, Slav and Alin's kids, Max and Mia, they're, they compete constantly. They do an amazing job. They, they train hard. They work hard. I mean, it helps that Bagels is their coach, I'm sure. Um, but there are so many other kids like that that are just out there training hard. And there are little girls like Summer, Summer in Virginia Beach, a uh, little bit, Christina Lynn in Virginia Beach. Just these kids that work so hard and train like – like there was a kid doing lapel guard, just like like a seven year old or something. I'm like, how? that wasn't even a thing when I started jujitsu. Somewhere Jake Whitfield's ears just perked up, and he <laughs> and, and he's angry now, and he doesn't know why. <laughs> but but it's like it's like but yeah. The, the, but but on a, on a different note, I do know the emphasis that you all put on the the kids' events, and one of one of the ways that manifests is substantial referee training like some of your kids refs are some of the best and most conscientious folks because that, that that's so important to be able to protect the kids have them have a good experience while at the same time doing that safely and i know you put a lot of emphasis on referee training and so maybe you can you can talk about uh, about that yeah um so we we are kind of a little crazy in a good way i think about referee training you should make sure it's instead of by grapplers for grapplers a little crazy but in a good way we think. <laughs> yeah that that's probably appropriate so we want, to us, every match matters. It's not, oh, that's just a white belt match. Oh, it's just a kid's match. No, every, you know why? Every one of those people paid money to be there. Every one of those people trained hard to be there. They cut weight, not kids, I hope. Um, they've, they've done all the things. You know, they're eating right, and they're, they're there to have a good experience. So to us, the table workers and the refs and the staff, it's so important that they understand all of the process. So we start with having, before you can ref a single match, you have to have worked tables. At least three events, and ideally, we want people to start working tables when they're white and blue belts. And we want to start grooming them to be referees at that point. By the time you're ready to be a ref, you've worked tables and kept score and time and dealt with brackets for so many matches, you already know how to do score. And then it's just a matter of, of going through and getting out there and doing it. So, so once you've worked tables, we do a referee cert. They're about six hours. Uh, Jarrett Church usually runs them. He, he has, we have a whole process for, we, we talk through the rules. We do a very in-depth rules meeting. And then we do some, some group scoring. We watch some videos of some matches and we do some group scoring of some, some trickier matches. Um, and, and, and then talk about why the score is the score. We talk about some, some matches that, are, that have some illegal things in them. Or we talk about whether or not these certain scenarios were slams. And and we go through why they were or why they're not. Takedowns are really tough, especially if it's a high-amplitude throw. You know, They look really scary sometimes. And sometimes people get hurt from a legit legal takedown. So when you're looking back on it, you're like, oh, man, oh, man, that guy's unconscious. But... So it was probably a slam, right? Well, no, not necessarily. And that's a really tough thing for referees to decide. So we want to do as much as we can to prepare them for situations like that before they're actually in it with live customers, right? And and then we let we we have some mock matches, which are always a lot of fun because the people that are grappling in the mock matches, we kind of set them up with some fun scenarios. 
um, to make sure that the people are ready to, to score them. So I definitely want to talk about you know, th- how this creates a regular cast of traveling staff for you guys, because I think a lot of the people that work at U.S. Grappling are part of what makes it special. But before we get into that, I want to tell my stories from one of I, I did two ref certifications because I, want, I wanted to be sure that I was ready to ref for y'all. And, during the, the, and, and you've just reminded me of, of a couple of the mock matches uh, that I had to score. <laughs> Now, a lot of times, there are guys that will mess with you. A little. A little, just a little <laughs> bit. And, and, and my two favorite mock matches that I had to ref were right at the end, uh, and John Bagels-Telford and DeAndre Corbet had been there the whole day. So everybody's a little tired, and I'm one of, these are some of the, one of the last matches. And I'm scoring, and I'm intent, and I'm focused, and I'm like, got to get this right. It's because mock matches are serious business, and if I screw this up... And and I'm I'm scoring and I'm keeping in fi- one of the, one of the and I'm remembering the tips Sean Zorio gave me about like okay remember who's on top because that's the passer and keep the passer in mind and give them points and I'm confident that I've scored the match correctly and then I look at and th- there's like a scrum where Bagels and DeAndre are like they they're all t- tangled up in this funky position and, and and I'm confident that I've scored the match correctly and then I look and one of them has the little red band one of them has the little green band and the points look reversed. And at first I panic, like I've messed this up. They're all going to laugh at me. Everybody's going to laugh at me because y'all, y'all are mean. It's true. And then I realize, and I look down at Bagels, and I look into his eyes, and I'm like, you guys switched your bands, didn't you? And they just both start laughing. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And I was like, that wouldn't happen in a real match, Bagels. And he's like, I know. But they had a lot of fun doing it. But they did, and that's really what matters, as long as it, it amuses me. And like uh, the the, I would I, I would tell the story about DeAndre and the baby. But uh, do you know this story? I do. I was there. You that were day. there, right? Yes, and, I saw all these things happen to you. No, they, well, I'm glad I'm glad one of us was amused because I was totally in <laughs> I was totally in the zone mode, right? Of like must impress U.S. grappling staff. And so, for the listeners that haven't heard this, so a lot of times what will happen is folks who are not involved in the match will role play, like they'll role play the coach who's being a jerk. The coaches, yes. The crowd, other matches happening, so you have to deal with the ring control and boundaries and things like that. All of which is crucially important, right? Because like people are gonna, you got to be aware of your surroundings. People are gonna people. Yeah, people. Right. (laughs) Even if the coaches are being nice, they're trying to advocate for the interests of their students. Or the guy on the other mat who wants to shoot his blast double might come careening into you. And so, so DeAndre has wrapped up a gi and is playing the role of a mother with a baby. And I have no idea why this is happening. And I should have probably guessed <laughs> why this was happening. And so at some point, they do a fake pro wrestling bump where like somebody runs into DeAndre and he starts shouting about his baby. <laughs> and I, intent on the match, turn to DeAndre and say in a deadpan voice, that's not a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Which seemed like the right thing to do at the time. <laughs> But anyway, like it so, was pretty hilarious. I mean, I'm sure it was funny to ever, and it was funny to me as soon as the match was done, and I could recognize the humor. At that time, though, I was like, I must figure out if this is a takedown or a slam. Yeah, yeah, and it's really, you know, we we try not to go too far with those things, but some, like you said, it's the end of the day. People are starting to get a little punchy. Um, they've they've grappled a bunch of matches, and and they do we do kind of go over the top a little bit to make the point that you have to keep everybody safe, not just your two competitors. You've got to keep the two competitors on the next match safe, your other referee. You can't let your guys do that blast double into the referee's back mm. either. If he can't see them coming, like then it's just catastrophe, right? Absolutely. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about the ref wall where two refs stand back to back. And we do it with the kids' matches. We do it with adult matches. And it's it's super important for the referees to be just hyper-aware of where their competitors are and where the next sets of competitors are to keep everybody safe. I think I think that's why a lot of, you know, we really like to start refs when they're starting to ref 
to move from behind the table to on the mats. We like to start them at a submission-only event because you don't have to worry about points then, and you can really focus on your ring control because it's it's hard. Yeah, people, especially if you get two you know two hundred pound guys out there that are still real active. You know, sometimes you get the uh, the big guys that just kind of dance in a circle and they're they're not trying to go all crazy. But then you get those guys that are just like trying to drive each other through the tables. Mm-hmm. It's really stressful. And if you're trying to figure out points at the same time, it's a tough thing to do. So starting with a sub only tournament is really a good way to kind of get your get your mat feet wet, so to speak. No, absolutely. And I think there's actually a really good analogy to be made here between ref training and jujitsu training, where when you're training for a, a tournament they put you through things that you'll never experience in a match, right? For where sure. you'll run the gauntlet of like, okay, now everybody's going to be fresh. They're going to jump in on you a, a diff- you know, a, a minute at a time. And because you're used to all that external stimuli, you perform better Absolutely. I- in the eventual event. And so I think that's uh, – so, you know, I, I tell those stories because they're funny, but also recognize the sort of training value. And, why, and I think it's so important to continue to, like, improve – and you know, make, make to, to continue to make your tournaments the great experiences they are. And a big part of that is your people. And so you have this regular cast of people, a lot of whom have been with you for a while, some of whom are your core team, some of them are your travel team. And, and a lot of these folks have been mainstays throughout the years, and then other times folks rotate in and out as life happens. Who, other than the owners, who do you think are some of the most instrumental people that have been with you, that have been a key to the success of U.S. grappling? John, Telford, uh, Sean Zorio, Bev Long. Uh, those three right now, we, we they, they are the heart of U.S. grappling right now. Um, Matt Fuller and, and Aaron uh, Hansen, the, I miss them every tournament. You know, like, like you said, life happens. They've gotten different jobs where they can't travel with us as much anymore. Uh, but they were all key in the beginning. Mike Bird, man, Mike Bird has been to so many U.S. grappling events and done so much work for us over the years. There are a ton of people that have kind of rotated in and out. And our, our ref staff has kind of... You know, kind of the what happens with people is they come up through the ranks and it starts out like, yeah, I'll I'll work for the day because I want to compete for free. And then the team kind of self-selects that matches our humor and matches our because we're kind of we're really sarcastic. We're really sarcastic bunch of people. Um, so, so no, you're not. <laughs> so we kind of people kind of self-select that want to be around that type of of humor and want to be around and work really hard and know that that we're going to feed them eventually but sometimes it's a little later in the day than we'd like and you know we always have food for staff but we have to kind of rotate people in and out and they all do it because they want to be part of the community not the u.s grappling community the larger jujitsu community you know Bobby Gurley came up to me at bracketing yesterday, and he said, you know, I really want to start working with you guys. I want to really give some stuff back to, the, to, to jiu-jitsu. I want to be more involved in this community. And, you know, that's, that's really awesome. And that's, that, to me, is the biggest part of it. And that's kind of how people get on the travel team. You start performing really well. You're the guy that sticks around to load the truck even though you don't have to. And, and then we're like, hey, you know, you've been doing a really good job. Do you think you're available to come up to Richmond for this weekend? We'll put you in a hotel Friday night, whatever. And, and come help us set up or help us tear down Saturday night and you can drive back Sunday morning. Or, you know, what would be great is you stay on Saturday night, go to Open Mat at Revolution on, on Sunday, and then drive back after that. So people get a little more community feel. And, and that's really how we kind of get to that point. And it really is, you know, we, have, we just have an awesome staff. We have such an amazing team. The table workers, everybody really works so hard to make sure people have a good experience. And I think that's just really telling about the people that, that come to our events and that we surround ourselves with. 
Yeah, and, I, and and you know anyone who's paid attention to the local jiu-jitsu scene and here's some of the names that you mentioned really understands the by grapplers for grapplers thing. You know, Bagels, John John Telford, active competitor in the scene Everywhere. all the time. Yeah, exactly. All the you know Beverly like you know competes as well. Very good competitive blue belt. And so I'm wondering, and uh, we talked about this a little bit before the show. Have during the course of your ownership of U.S. Grappling, have you or Brian competed at one of your own tournaments? I have, actually. Um, I think you probably know Angela Pitts. Mm-hmm. I was her first match a um, hundred years ago back at, at a Pendergrass tournament. We used to run the Pendergrass tournaments for the Pendergrass Brothers, and we would do their charity tournaments twice a year. So Angela and I had a match there. I haven't competed since 2009, um, but I competed at a U.S. grappling event in 2009. Alex Wynn actually asked me yesterday when I was going to compete again, and I told her after she gets a purple belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But by then, Aaliyah will have a blue belt, and it'll just be downhill for me all over again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like you know, the, the shoulders, are like that. You, you get your shoulders get relaxed, and then they then they tense right up again right? when you see the kids coming up. Oh. But yeah, like, terrifying. Yeah, right. I'm just glad Anthony Elbert's not in my division. (laughs) Like, like, whatever people, I I don't really think about belts, but I'm like, I look down at the purple belt and I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) This is nice. I like it here. That's how I feel about my blue belt. So I've, which I've had for it'll be nine years yeah, you're into a, December. <laughs> yeah, you're 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 one of the longest tenured blue belts, and so I want to talk to you about your uh, your own grappling career and you, what sort of your goals for training right now. Do you do you set those goals? Like, right now, I just try and get to the gym. You know, I have a day job. I have U.S. Grappling. I am kind of managing the day to day of the Green Gi, so I don't have a lot of time. I would like to spend some time with my husband when I'm not working my day job. You know. I'm usually in the office before seven in the morning. I try and be home by six at night and I'm trying to get to the gym at least once a week, but that's very, it's, it's hard. Mm. So I haven't trained consistently since I started working for my current job in 2012. Mm. Um, I had knee surgery back in 2011. So I had taken a lot of that year off to try and get my, try and avoid knee surgery. So I was doing a lot of weightlifting and CrossFit and, and things like that. Um, to try and strengthen up my knee to avoid having knee surgery and turns out I made it worse and then I definitely needed knee surgery. So I had knee surgery and then I started a new job where I was traveling a lot and that makes it really hard to be consistent but I miss it so much and I'm I'm trying to get back to the gym. I've been trying to go, I'm going to the beginner classes because that's about what I'm ready for right now. (laughs) I've offered to give the blue belt back but evidently that's not a thing. That's not a thing, (laughs) especially not a nine year blue belt. There's a lot of of mojo in that belt. So I, I'm really trying to be more consistent and, and training um, because I really do miss it. I miss being on the mats. And I actually enjoy competing. I, I'm not great at it, but it's kind of like bowling to me. I'm okay with not being great at it because it's fun anyway, which is a big like mental leap forward for me because I had a lot of years of if I'm not good at it, I'm not doing it. I'm just not. So so it's a, it's a good personal growth thing i think yeah most definitely and we talked about we talked about belts a little bit and i want to i want to give a shout out to somebody who uh, who just got his brown belt it was todd levin who i know has worked with you a bit in the past ah uh, yes and what are the what are the like do you want to talk about the about the todd levin nickname or uh, creepy todd <laughs> yes oh creepy todd you know i don't even know how i was introduced to him a hundred years ago as creepy todd and i 
I figured it was probably best to not ask questions about why. Uh, I think it's probably because of the fanny pack. I don't I don't know. I'm not really sure. He's also called Lacora, which I believe means crazy or yeah. something like that. Also appropriate. Also appropriate. Todd is amazing. I saw last night after the tournament that he had gotten his brown belt, and I was really excited to see that. That's amazing for him. I'm really happy for him. Totally. Um, there were so many so many promotions happened yesterday up in Philly. Um, Phil Migliarese and uh, Rick Migliarese, they have – their balance affiliation is so amazing. I saw a, like an Instagram video or Snapchat or whatever the kids are doing these days of the table of belts lined up. There were like eight new black belts, 15 new brown belts. It was just amazing. So my friend Paul Moore got his brown belt yesterday, which is really exciting. Angie Vogel got her brown belt yesterday, Josh Vogel's wife, um, who is – she's a legit uh, – like stone killer yeah there you go i'm trying to avoid bad radio words i'm like <laughs> there's man. only seven we gotta avoid <laughs> she's she's awesome you know she's just amazing plus she's also like a pastry chef so she's like double awesome and that's a great combination i know right yeah, yeah. so it's just so cool to see all these people you know i've seen so many people go from white to black belt now like in the time that i've been a blue belt uh like liz susson liz susson got her black belt last week i remember so when she started jujitsu it's amazing to me like it's just amazing to see people kind of grow up in this community even though they were adults when they got here it's so cool and I just I think it's so amazing every day to just get to be part of this and truly be around so many awesome people that just like they're so excited to see you when you get to the gym. It doesn't matter if it's been two weeks or two years since you've been there. They're just happy you're back in your head. They're judging you, but they're really not. They're not. You know, it's been a long time for me and I do some silly things that that not even a brand new white belt would do because I just don't remember everything anymore. And, you know, nobody makes fun of me to my face, which is awesome. <laughs> no, they wouldn't dare. <laughs> um, so in, in the time that you've been doing you talk about watching people grow up in jiu-jitsu. What, what do you think are the biggest changes you've seen in the local jiu-jitsu scene and in U.S. grappling since you've been doing this? Man, the, just the, the caliber of jiu-jitsu is so much better now. You know, I know we've all we've all kind of joked about the coaching, like Jason Colbreth. I remember in the early days, give him the ugly face, like just Jason Colbreth shouting, coaching that to people across the mats. And I know that's like that's kind of Jason's thing, but there are uh, just seeing the caliber of people. Not that not that Jason was ever bad, obviously, but seeing like more people are joining the ranks of of coaching, and the coaching is so much better, and the kids, the kids are so much better. You know, it used to be kids were just kind of like flail around and fall down. And now, you know, you've got kids baramboloing each other. I'm like, I, I can't do that. Uh, that's not a thing I can do. And, you know, you've got nine-year-olds that are doing it. And it's just so amazing. Just the caliber of jiu-jitsu is up. Um, the, the inventiveness, the creativeness of jiu-jitsu is up. And, you know, new schools are popping up all the time. And seeing people that we knew as blue and purple belts now running really successful jiu-jitsu programs. Like we've talked about Greg Souders a little bit earlier. Just seeing, like, seeing not only Greg come into his own as a black belt, but seeing what he's done for his team and his school, it's really impressive to me. And the community just keeps growing and getting bigger and better. And that, that to me, is just, it's fantastic. I, I really love seeing it. As do I. And... 
and and so how has U.S. grappling reflected that? Like, I know you've made done some technological stuff that it, that has improved life for folks, and 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 maybe you could talk about some of the the, the like logistical stuff that you've done with U.S. grappling. This was some of the biggest changes for your tournaments. You know, we try we try really and and keep up with technology things. You know, one of the things that we started doing very early on was accepting credit cards. This didn't this wasn't a thing at other tournaments, so people were like, "What? You have a credit card?" And at that point, we had this weird little USB thing that you'd have to like find on the table and swipe a credit card and you had to have this weird thing. Now we have like the square stands and the square readers. Um, We have software for our bracketing. So we've really eliminated a lot of bracketing mistakes by using software. And we actually have somebody building us new bracketing software right now to make it even better. Um, We're breaking news in just two <laughs> levels here on the Concussion Cast. And we got to talk about your tournament coming to Charlotte as well. Oh, yes, please, yes. Please continue to the, uh, on the um, tech answer. So, so not only that, but we're also looking, like, probably in 2017, we're going to be completely revamping our website again because we want to make the registration process easier. We're, we've extended to how long, you know, it used to be that you could only pre-register until Thursday night at 8 o'clock. It was that way for years. Um, a few events back, we extended it through Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Like, you can register online as you're standing in line to weigh in. And then we just pull your information over to the to the master list and and put in your weight, and it's then you don't have to fill out the paper form, right? So so we're trying to eliminate paper. Another thing we want to do in the future is just you should be able to register right off the tablet and pull it in. That's maybe late 2017, 2018 kind of thing. But man, we've got big plans, you guys. Big dreams, mm-hmm. big dreams. And we do want to expand into some additional markets. Like I said, we're going to be in Charlotte in March of. 2017 will be at the Cabarrus Arena, same place where the IBJJF just was. Um, so bring your phone chargers because I heard there's not a lot of signal in there. Yeah, zero signal. Tried Facebook Live, it was was brutal. But uh, but the the but the arena was nice. It was a really good place to hold a grappling tournament. So March, uh, so that'll be in March. Yep, that'll be in March. That'll be up on the on the website in the next few days, actually. So you, you mentioned that you're adding locations, and obviously, we're, we're, I mean, I'm personally really excited for Charlotte. I think that there there's Huge market there. They have great jujitsu, a lot of great gyms in Charlotte, and and I think you could definitely get folks from the Triangle to roll out there for that tournament. Um, you've gone as far north as Rochester, New York. That's right. As far to the west as Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee. Milwaukee, <laughs> Wisconsin, uh, the first town in America to elect two socialist mayors, uh, uh, which I learned from the movie Wayne's World. <laughs> but uh, and and as far south as Orlando, Florida. That's right. Are there aspirations to expand geographically and go national, or are there are you just adding particular targeted cities that you are like this place needs more grappling tournaments? Yeah, we do a lot of research on the local events that are in a specific place. Um, our, our flavor of submission-only grappling is really popular. People are really interested in it. Um, so, so we would really like to get our submission-only to more places. We are looking at new cities for next year and 2018 as well. We would like to expand. I would like to do something. You know, most of our staff is based in North Carolina. Um, Beverly is in Richmond. And, you know, we have people that are up in D.C. that travel with us. David Porter is a good example. Mm-hmm. Alex Wynn, obviously. Um, the guys from Virginia Beach. So we try and try and keep it within a reasonable drive from to where we can get. You guys have probably seen, you know, USG truck team. Uh, <laughs> so we, we try and make it to where John and Sean can get there in a reasonable amount of time in the truck with the mats and the gear and, and everything. Um, Chicago was really is tough. We've been to Chicago several times. We did Milwaukee once. That was our very first event as U.S. Grappling, actually, back in February of 2007. <sighs> Uh, that was we we kind of collectively don't talk about Milwaukee because it was so cold. We it was actually what, what one time of the, year was it? February. Oh boy! It was one of the early events where we were still before an MMA show at night. Mm-hmm. So 
we had set up and break down. We had to do all of that before the MMA show could start. Um, someone stole Andrew's shoes. I'm sure it was a mistake. You know, people's shoes are just around. Andrew didn't have backup shoes. It never got above 13 degrees the whole time we were there. And we all thought, oh, Milwaukee, we're going to be in a great beer town. And this is going to... So we would ask the locals for like, oh, what's a local beer? And they're like, I mean, we got this uh, Milwaukee's Best. And (laughs) so there was not, you know, there was not this craft brewery mecca that we thought we were going to be arriving in. Is Milwaukee's Best actually Milwaukee's Best beer? It might be. Wow. That's terrifying. (laughs) It was not, you know, they had just like, just standard like American light beers. There was nothing, nothing impressive or amazing about it, which was a shame. Mm. Did you meet Laverne or Shirley? Is that is that where that show was set, Laverne and Shirley? I think it was, I think it was. set there. Yeah. We didn't meet any of them. Shlomiel Shlomazel, Haas and Pfeffer Incorporated. <laughs> yeah. So one thing you may that listeners may know about, definitely know about me and may know about Chrissy, is that we're both, we both have data. And we did some breakdowns uh, of the 2015 statistics of most common submissions at U.S. grappling tournaments. And I know you keep data on submission-only most common submissions. We do. And so I'm wondering if you can break down for us what those most common submissions are and then talk about what, what, if anything, was surprising to you when you reviewed that information. So it's pretty, it's always fascinating to me. You know, when you when you think about the most popular submissions overall, there are things that are popular in both gi and no gi. So things you can do in both places. So triangles, arm bars, rear naked chokes, and kimuras. I blame Andrew Smith for this rise in kimura popularity. He's been, you know, he's been Kimura gripping people for years and uh, Kimura all the things. That's Andrew. That was his M.O. for so long. And it's just really, you know, it used to be triangle, armbar, rear naked choke. Those were the top three. They kind of shuffled around a little bit. But Kimuras have really moved up and taken over. When you look at the statistics as a whole, when you break it down to, to the gi, bow and arrow chokes have been climbing the charts for years. And it used to be like I would see brown belts were doing bow and arrow chokes. Now it's really popular with blue belts. So that kind of goes back to how the whole community has evolved. And we're just getting better technique lower. Like blue belts, when I got my blue belt, I didn't have to be very good. And now blue belts are really good. <laughs> so they're much more clean. They're much crisper. They have much better technique because they have access to so much better information you know the old dvd sets when i first started there were like four and now there are hundreds and there are like dvd sets on one specific move back back then it was here are the 40 best moves for jujitsu and it could be anything you know i think another thing that's really changing people is how classes are taught they're much more structured now it's not just what the instructor saw on youtube that afternoon or what they feel like teaching it's actually kind of mindful and you're seeing schools kind of grow up um, but back to your, your data question, sorry. Kind of. No, no, I, I think that's all really valid. And we will get back to the data question, but your points are super accurate from my perspective in that like it's an art to teach and like developing a it curriculum. It really is. To, it's so important. Yeah, and like, if th- you know, and we mentioned Daniel Frank, you know, Daniel prepares lessons plans, which a lot yep. of instructors do. And that wasn't common when I started jujitsu. Me either. And, and, and you know, learning how to convey information in that way and proceeding thoughtfully about what is the best way to take this information and give it to the student is, is, is super valuable. Valuable. And a lot, another thing, and I'm interested, this, this dovetails with the data question, there's a lot more information available about leg locks now. And so when you evaluate your sub-only data no-gi, have you noticed a big rise in leg locks over the last few years? Actually, no. You know, people are always surprised. They're like, oh, man, I don't want to do heel hooks. Well, heel hooks are a very small percentage because you have to think about if you take the whole no-gi data set, the only people that are allowed to do it are advanced men and advanced women, not even 30-plus advanced men because... We took a poll of all of our 30-plus competitors, and we asked them, hey, do you want the same rule set? And 
the the overwhelming answer was we want the same amount of time, but we don't want any twisting leg locks mm-hmm. because. I mean, frankly, guys over 30 want to be able to go to work on Monday morning, not on crutches. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a, just a different mentality. So a lot of people over 30 drop down to the adult division if they want to play, if they want to play uh, leg stuff, as somebody put it yesterday. What? I can do leg stuff down there? <laughs> I want to do leg stuff. So uh, that, that made me really happy. Like people, people get excited when they can do that. But we don't see – there's not a huge rise, and there's not a huge injury injury. Um, correlation to heel hooks. I see a lot more people icing elbows than knees. I completely agree with that. Like, and, and I do think a lot of it is, and I wrote about this on the blog this week, that you know, a huge part of the fear of heel hooks is just lack of exposure and lack of experience. Where it's like, if it, what happens if you don't tap to a heel hook? Well, you get injured. Well, what happens if you don't tap fast enough to an arm bar? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you, know? you also get injured. Yeah. And so, so you know, and, I'll, and and you know, and I, I do, I do. You know, I'm as you know, an old old purple belt, and and so often I will drop down to the to the adult division just because, hey, if I feel like playing leg stuff, which should also be a t-shirt, but <laughs> let's do some leg stuff. And that's an option that U.S. Grappling offers as well. And you do offer, as you mentioned, you know, thirty plus. Adult division, you have juvenile divisions, and all all of that in, uh, available um, for competitors. So, is there anything that I haven't asked about that you wish I would have asked about? You got a favorite road story you've always wanted to tell, or something that you wish people knew about U.S. grappling that you don't think enough people know? Oh, I think you know we we kind of touched on it before, but we didn't really talk about kids refs. Like you mentioned it very briefly, and then I kind of swirled us around away from that. But I, I want to come back to that because I think it's so important. Our most experienced refs are our kids' refs. First, kids are squirrely. They move fast. They are not like your 220-pound white belt dudes who are going to be slow. Or they're not like advanced men. People think, oh, the most experienced ref should be on the advanced men. No, you know why? Advanced dudes know to hold still and get their points. Mm -hmm. Beginner dudes and kids, they just keep moving the whole time. So the other thing that we put on our kids' refs is the ability to stop a match. We have the, in, in the adult divisions, we have the uh, grown uh, A-word man rule, right? So we don't tap for you if you're in an adult division unless you're a juvenile competing as an adult. We expect that you know enough to tap and get yourself back to the gym on Monday night because that's really what we want to see. But in the kids' divisions, kids are bendy, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know how bendy each kid is. They have different levels of flexibility, different levels of experience. So there's a lot of pressure on our refs to make sure that they keep those kids safe. And I think, you know, sometimes parents are mad because we've stopped a match. Oh, his arm bends further than that or whatever. Our goal, number one, is to have your kid back in the gym on Monday night every time. And we don't really apologize for that. We want those kids to have a good time. We want them to be safe. And those kids refs, that is such a hard job. And the guys that do it, Bagels, Sean, CJ, Daniel, Jarrett, David Porter, you know, the guys that do that stuff, it is hard. It is really hard. If you guys see a kid's ref, thank them. Give them a cookie, something, because those guys bust their butts to make sure your kids have a good experience. And I don't think they, they don't get nearly the credit that they deserve. It is a tough job. I totally agree. I would way rather a ref an adult match than, than a kid's match. And all the guys you mentioned, like super committed to jiu-jitsu, super committed to knowing technique, understanding points, and most importantly, as you mentioned, keeping the kids safe. Because, you know, you know we don't know always how far an arm is going to bend, and we don't want to find out the hard way. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, all those people that I mentioned, except bagels, they're all black belts. Like these are these are the people that we have roughing our kids, and you know Bagels has been around forever and teaches an amazing kids program, so I think that's really that's probably the biggest thing that I want people to to understand that 
we take kids matches really seriously and we really kind of go over and above board to to make sure that they have a good time and a good experience any what is in the two minutes we have left what is next for you grappling what's the next tournament y'all are running what is the next thing that you want folks to be aware of that's on the horizon oh uh, submission only in richmond in december it's so exciting that's always a huge sub only event we're at this big venue now um we outgrew patrick henry and as much as we love supporting the wrestling program there we just had to move to a bigger venue. So we're at the State Fair in Richmond on, uh, I believe it's December 10th. But as I'm saying it, it feels like the wrong date. But I'm pretty sure that's the right weekend. Uh, the second Saturday of December. And we have this huge venue now with tons of parking and a huge room where we're all together. And it's sub only for the adults. Points still for kids, of course. But, man, that submission only event is so fun. We'll have several hundred competitors competing sub only all day, and it's amazing. U.S. Grappling submission only tournaments are some of the best around. It's true submission only. You step on the mat, and either you give up or you don't. Chrissy, I've had a blast talking to you. We will post some. Of, we'll post a link to submission only Richmond if you want to register. We'll post some data that Chrissy talked about if you're interested in seeing what the most common submissions are. And Chrissy, I just want to thank you again for coming into the studio. Thank you. This was awesome. It's so much fun to see you, as always. It's always great to see you. It's always a blast to learn about the history of the local jiu-jitsu scene. So folks, we are going to get on out of here. We will be back again next Sunday. Please tune in next Sunday. We are going to have a major announcement and a really exciting guest that you are not going to want to miss. This is the Cage Side Concussion Cast. Get at us on Twitter at CagesideWhoop or email us at CagesideWhoop at gmail.com. I am Jeff Shaw, and we will see you next Sunday. 